0: Hi there. You're listening to Think Ahead on the Evergreen Exchange. I'm Katie Versio, Senior Financial Planner at Evergreen GovCal. This episode is a recorded webinar from June 22nd, where I interview the Managing Director of our tax division, Kelly Sterling, on proposed changes to the U.S. tax code and potential strategies to deal with these proposed changes. Enjoy. First of all, I want to thank everyone for joining us. My name is Katie Versio. I am uh, Evergreen Golf Cal's Senior Financial Planner based up in Bellevue and I'm joined by Kelly Sterling who's one of the Managing Directors of Evergreen Sterling Cooter. Thanks for joining us today.
1: No problem. Good to be here.
0: Yes and uh, we have an exciting topic today and just so uh, everyone is aware if there's any questions I know there were some questions that were submitted before the webinar. If there's any questions as we're going through it You can submit those under the Q&A function. We'll do our best to answer those as we're going through. Um, We're also going to be launching a few live polls, so asking you some questions, the audience. So I will announce those as they come up, uh, but be on the lookout for those as well. Okay, so let's get started. I think we've got a good amount of folks that are now... uh, joined in on the webinar here. So we've been talking about tax reform for quite a long time. The topic of today's webinar is how to plan for tax reform. Kelly, seems like we've had these conversations quite a bit. It seems like we just did a podcast on this back in November, right after the election. So uh, there's been quite a few developments since then. Uh, So could you just give us a brief update of where things stand today? And what do we know in terms of the Biden proposal and what do we still not
1: know? Yeah, well, um, there is has been some clarity. I think since we talked in November, there's been two different COVID relief packages that have passed, and uh, you know those resulted in s- additional stimulus checks, some um, retroactive um, expansion of some employer credits, and um, and an expansion of the child. Uh, credit from 2000 to $3,000. So, um, you know, those have already been passed and are in place. And then we've got these two different um, bills that are going through Congress now, the, uh, the infrastructure bill, and then the, the tax bill, the, the uh, Family uh, Pl- Rescue Plan Act. And so, um, yeah, and there's still so much uncertainty, you know, um, we have a little bit of clarity in what biden is um, proposing he's increasing tax rates on the highest income earners uh, he's eliminating the carried interest preference for uh, for high income earners he's uh, taxing uh, or increasing the capital gains rates and he's um, also uh, changing the way um, gift and inheritance taxes are um, collected and then he's actually Giving more generous tax credits to uh, children and dependent care um, activities, um, and so there's a, a, a there's a, a large social agenda that he is proposing, which um, is is going to be paid for by these taxes, or 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 some of it will be paid for by these taxes. Sure. But uh, I I would say though that this is probably the most um, uncertain time of any tax policy. Uh, changes in my career of forty years. yeah, it's just uh, generally, administrations respect the previous administrations and will tweak the tax code and um, you know, give incentives and disincentives for different uh, different projects to to meet their objectives. But over the last three administrations, you know each administration has just made of, you know a huge uh, significant changes to the tax code. and it's really, The pendulum swinging back and forth just makes it really difficult for individuals as well as businesses to do long-term planning so it's just really a tough uh tough environment right now
0: yes (laughs) it's putting it lightly i would say (laughs) okay so before we dive into more of the uh, provisions that we're going to talk about i'm going to launch our first poll here so uh the first one is going to be about so who is currently preparing your tax return? Do you already work with an advisor at Evergreen Sterling Cooter? Do you have a CPA that you're happy with? Do you have a CPA that you're unhappy with or feel neutrally about? Or are you a do-it-yourselfer that use TurboTax? And then it looks like the second question has here, do you itemize or take the standard deduction? So two questions there, itemize or standard deduction. All right, so it looks like... Uh, I'm going to give it just a couple more seconds here. And as I'm letting people answer Kelly, I will ask you the first question that I have regarding personal taxes. So, looking at tax rates. So, the proposed top tax rate is set to go from 37% to 39.6% starting at about 452,000 for single filers and 509,000 for married filing jointly. This is kind of more of a, a reversal of how that rate was brought down just a few years ago with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and has now been increased, is or is being proposed to be increased again. So Biden really campaigned on the thought that for those that are under $400,000 in taxes or in income, that taxes won't increase. Is that really the case here or is there anything that we're missing?
1: Well, it um, yeah, it depends on the frame of reference. Um, so yes, during uh, during the campaign, Biden um, made a promise that um, anyone who made over four hundred thousand dollars would not be taxed, and. Um, you know the the big question amongst tax people were what what did anyone mean is that an individual or a household, and um, as you see the, the 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 thresholds that they have come up with four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for single filers and five hundred nine thousand dollars for married filing jointly. So somebody who is married filing jointly jointly each um, each individual and make $255,000 before they, they get over that threshold. And so, you know, so again, it's just, it, it depends on what angle you're coming from on this. But uh, this has created a huge uh, marriage penalty. If you are, if you're uh, unmarried and you're two individuals living together, you can make $900,000 before you fall into the top tax rate. So um, there's, you know, that the marriage penalty has always been an issue, and this just kind of exacerbates that uh, that penalty. And you know, there are circumstances where people who make under four hundred thousand dollars can actually fall into the higher tax bracket. And uh, again, it's your frame of reference. If so, if uh, you know somebody um, lives in Seattle and their their house is appreciated. Uh, and they make, they're retired, they make $50,000 a year, and uh, say they have a house on Mercer Island that they've lived in for 40 years, and it sells for two and a half million dollars, then they're going to be paying, you know, at the top tax rate, plus they'll be paying at the top capital gains rate. And so, you know, um, in Biden's, uh, you know, his administration would say, well, you know, they they made over a million dollars, so, you know, they're, they should be paying tax. And then others would say, well, yeah, but they're making 50,000 a year and, uh, and now you're taxing them. So uh, it directly, the tax rates do not affect people that are under $400,000. But I think, you know, there are a lot of circumstances where this will affect people.
0: That makes sense. Um, so for those, you know, when you're generally thinking about the, the change of the tax brackets, is it, are the rest of the tax brackets generally staying the same as so is as, as how they were previously it's just that that top tax bracket that's moving
1: yes correct okay yeah, so most of the tax brackets are going to stay the same
0: okay that's good to know but still a good important to think about yep yeah, in in regards with capital gains and, and those things that you mentioned on that topic one of the other big uh hot button issues is looking at capital gains so as it stands with this proposal, the long-term capital gains rates are proposed to be taxed as ordinary income tax rates for those with income over $1 million. So is there any changes for those that are under $1 million? And do the rules stay the same there?
1: Well, um, first of all, let's just go back to the the tax rates. So um, under the current law, there is a, a Medicare tax of 3.8% above $250,000 of income. So under the Biden plan, and and only investment income is subject to that tax. Under the Biden plan, that tax, tax, additional tax will be extended to non-investment income. So when we're talking about 39.6%, you really, in in many cases, need to add that 3.8%. So you're really talking about 43.4%. Is kind of the top tax rate, and um, and this would apply to capital gains as well. So um, anybody who um, you know has gain has income of over a million dollars will pay 43.4% um, tax on that income, and and it and that it, it's a it's not a cliff test. So. If you have $500,000 of other income and then you have a a gain for a million dollars, the high tax rate will apply to only the amount uh, of $500,000 or the amount in excess of the million dollars. And and then the other thing that comes into play here is that um, Washington just passed this capital gains tax. So, you know, you're adding another 7%. So then you're up to 50.4% tax on Uh, capital gains if you're a high income earner which which is about 15 to 20 percent higher than any other country in the developed world so so we would be paying a higher capital gains rate than any other uh any other country in europe or or anywhere else so um it um yeah it's a significant um, significant issue and i think you know one of the it, it really there's a disincentive to sell assets especially highly appreciated assets so, um, you know, it, th- this very well can slow down um, a lot of the transactions in the, in the country.
0: Yeah, that's, it's, it's crazy to think about how it, for the top bracket, uh, for the highest earners, it could go from 23.8% to potentially about 50% if you live in Washington state. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions about the capital gains tax, but starting with the Washington state provision, I saw that I was signed into law last month. Uh, it's a seven percent flat tax on gains above two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um I saw there was some exclusions. It, I, I saw uh, it said real estate. Does that in- include all real estate? Is that just primary, which we see more on the federal level? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So um, yes, all real estate is excluded. So and that that's commercial and and residential. And then there are some other exclusions that were carved out. Uh, you know. For some business assets are excluded. Uh, farming and fishing businesses um, are excluded when 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 uh, when they're sold. Um, there's a special exception for goodwill received from the sale of auto dealerships. So they must have had a good lobbyist.
0: <laughs> um, I saw you know I, I saw it mentioned that excluded was certain small businesses. Like, do we have any insight to what that means? What kind of the threshold is there?
1: well there's really no um threshold per se um it the the exclusions have to do with assets that are held in a business and used in a business and are subject to depreciation so um yeah i mean i think there's still some things to carve out there uh and this there's already been lawsuits that have been filed um to challenge this based on um you know it's an unconstitutional tax on property um and so you know, and it's really I think anybody's guess is how the Supreme Court is is ruling. There are, you know, some tax analysts that say that this is kind of a precursor to an income tax. So mm-hmm. this is kind of a test balloon that the state's throwing up to the Supreme Court to see if, if they will rule in, in their favor and then, you know, that this it may open the way to 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 uh, you know, to basically enact an income tax in Washington. So
0: Right. I can understand why uh, folks out there are are really pressing with those lawsuits. I mean, that's that would really open the floodgates potentially.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Um, Okay. so going back to the federal capital gains uh, tax, I had read that there's uh, the proposal is recommending having this being implemented retroactively. And I recall you and I had a conversation last week about you had a client that sold a house right on that, was it April 28th, there's that specific date. And Uh, I mean, what do you think the chances are that that's gonna be pushed through?
1: (laughs) Well, um, yeah, I mean, whether that will be negotiated to December 31st of 2021 is is really anybody's guess. you know, the precedence is uh, goes both ways. Uh, many of the previous uh, tax changes do start with a retroactive date when the the um, proposal is made to keep people from doing transactions before or after the the final the final bill. Um, And so, um, you know, but as we move throughout the year and, you know, I've my understanding is that this could be the end of the summer or later that this thing actually comes in, you know, basically gets negotiated. We find out what we really have. Uh, And so, um, you know, I think as long, the longer it goes, the better the chance of of not having that retroactive date. Goes, but it's really it's really hard to say, quite frankly. I mean, and-
0: that takes a lot of the the planning tools away from us. I would say, absolutely. Okay, so let's say that in the in a scenario that the capital gains tax is implemented, but it's not retroactive. A case could be made for then accelerating capital gains, so doing capital gains harvesting in 2021, and then re so selling the securities paying the tax and then rebuying the same securities in order to reset your basis do you think that that's a viable strategy as, as opposed to you know chipping away at specific gains each year kind of how are you approaching that with your
1: clients? well um yes uh definitely you know, and we'll know more when when you know when we find out what we really end up with but um uh you know I, i've had clients who were are selling assets and um you know, in, in terms of businesses or, or real estate. And, you know, a decision is being made whether or not to, to try to close before the end of the year. And we're telling everybody, you know, if you can close before the end of the year, you know, try to do that because you'll, you'll at least have a chance of, of coming under the gun. Although, um, you know, you're still, um, you know, you still have a chance that you'll be paying the tax on that. Um, right. so as far as resetting basis goes, you know, I think there'll be some time after the the bill is signed to to uh, make that decision. But it's definitely, as long as you don't run afoul of the wash sale rule, it seems like that might be something to um, to consider for sure. Um, the We've actually had some clients with um, who made Opportunity Zone investments back in 2018 and 19. And um, so their deferral period is going to be ending here uh, and and uh, we're actually doing some research to see if we can go back and kind of undo that deferral election. And, you know, they would rather pay the tax, uh, do an amended return, pay the tax in 2018 at the lower rates and pay the interest and um, avoid the higher income tax down the road. So there's um, there's some strategies there that are being uh, worked on as well.
0: Sure, that makes sense. I mean, I could see, you know, some <clears throat> assets are more easily uh, able to kind of make these quick decisions like stocks or publicly traded securities you have more flexibility with. I could see with real estate businesses, assets that aren't as liquid having less flexibility. Um, do you think that this will increase installment sales? Is there really any other plays that you could think of for those types of assets?
1: Well, um, there will. Yeah, I mean, the, kind of the whole going forward, the 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 strategy will be to stay under that million dollar threshold. And so, yeah, you'll see more installment sales because that will, um, you know, level out the, the income over a couple of, you know, a couple of years or however long the contract is. You know that that's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword because uh, for people that make installment sales, they are ta- when they when they actually recognize the income, it's taxed at whatever rate is in place during that year. So yes. people who did installment sales in 2000, you know, 17, 18, and 19, and who are collecting on contracts will be paying tax at whatever the current rate is in 2021, 22, 23. So. Um, and that is another uh, election that you make when you when you sell something. You're electing. You can actually elect out of the installment method. And so um, again, there might be if if even if you sell uh, on a note and it's an, and it's tr- and it can be treated as an installment sale, or you sell a business and there's an escrow account that, that qualifies for installment treatment. Um, you know, you, you may want to elect out of the installment. Uh, sale treatment if, if the date of the uh, the effective date of this law comes into play on um, January 1st. So so anyway, so there is a lot of decisions that will be made after we kind of find out where we are on that.
0: Sure. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm racking my brain trying to think of of strategies here. Um, one that we haven't talked about is regarding opportunity zones. Uh, Could you describe a little bit how those work and how those could be used to defer capital gains?
1: Yeah, well, the opportunity zones, if you have a capital gain, um, you're able to invest in an opportunity zone fund or an opportunity zone investment and defer the gain for a number of years. If you um, hold on to the opportunity zone itself for 10 years, then you don't have to pay tax. Uh, at all on the appreciation um, or the gain from that opportunity zone. So, um, so you will, so there's going to be more benefit to that, quite frankly, you're going to, you know, the tax rates are higher, you're going to see a higher benefit to deferral. And, you know, in all of these discussions, as I, as I mentioned, pendulum is swinging back and forth and, um, you know, five years from now, four years from now, we could have, uh, a Republican administration and everything could be changed. In fact, I in 2019, there's there, there already discussion about some of these estate um, changes, state tax changes that were taking place. So a lot of people were making wealthy people were making um, making gifts of up to their 11.4 million dollars in, in exemption early. Just um, knowing that the the political climate, you know, was going to call for higher estate taxes. And um, and I had a client who's worth a hundred million dollars. And he said, I'm not going to make any gifts now because I know I'm going to live for another 10 years. By by 10 years, the, <laughs> the estate tax is going to be lower. So so um, so, you know, you have to take all, of the, you know, um, this is going to change things, but um, there's no guarantee that this is going to be a long lasting tax regime and so um you you don't want to make any decisions that are going to be foolish you know sure
0: yeah Yeah, no i uh Um, that that makes a lot of sense we've certainly had i mean it's just been like you mentioned it's very unprecedented how many changes there's been i mean between the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in twenty seventeen, the Secure Act in two thousand and nineteen, and then this tax proposal, there certainly is. I mean, I'm going back to my clients after all of these and saying, "Well, now we gotta let's review your estate plan, let's make some changes." I mean, how do you approach this with your clients when there is such a moving target?
1: Yeah, well, you just—I mean, you just have to be in communication with them all the time and um, and and make you know uh, make the changes that that. You, you need to make. I mean, I think, you know, we always, you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best. And so, and you really just have to have a, you know, a, a good discussion with your clients about, you know, what their feelings are and, and what their goals are. And and every client has a different set of standards and a, and a, and a different set of goals with, you know, what they're doing, you know, in retirement and, you you know, upon their death, you know how much they're going to be giving to charity, and so there's just, um, you know, it's it's basically just communicating with your clients and keeping everybody up to speed.
0: Sure. Yeah, I would say uh, with our with our evergreen clients, we. Uh, and we've got a, a fourth quarter tax review and, and those have become a lot more uh, necessary in the last few years with these moving targets, because maybe something you put into place the year before is now out of date. So yeah, you know, I think uh, it, it's prudent to, to have that open line of communication. <laughs> sure,
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So um, moving on here to the next topic, uh, I saw, I didn't see this in the proposal exactly, but something about 1031 exchanges. So those are popular tools to, um, defer capital gains on investment real estate, where if you sell it, uh, a property, and roll it into another investment property within a certain period of time, that you can defer that capital gain. Is there any limitations to those types of transactions in this?
1: Proposal? Um, e- yes. So the new law um, does limit those transactions. Uh, so the 1031 exchange has been around for about 100 years. And uh, and the, the philosophy behind that is that if you exchange a, an asset for a like-kind asset, you're basically foregoing cashing in on your investment, and you're really in the same place. You just have a different asset. So if you have, you know, a, a, a rental piece of real estate, and you uh, exchange that into a, a, an apartment building, you're still, you know, owning rental real estate, and so there should be no tax upon that. And it, and it's it's not a you don't escape the tax you defer the gain from the first property into the second property. So if you sell that second property you're basically going to pay the tax on both the gain from the first property plus the appreciation on the second property. so so that is the theory and about 20% of all commercial real estate transactions are, are exchanges and so um, under the Biden plan he is basically, um, propose that uh, exchanges in excess of $500,000 per person, or a million dollars for a married couple, will be eliminated. So, um, the the person that, that may own a, a rental property, a, a single family rental property, um, and sells that and has uh, or exchanges that and uh, moves that into another property and has a less than a $500,000 gain, then you know, they would still be able to do that without paying tax.
0: Okay. So that's good to know. So if it was, um, let's say the transaction, they had a $600,000 gain for, um, for an individual, it would be the 500,000 would be included. And then it would just be that 100,000.
1: Correct. Correct. Gotcha.
0: Okay. That's, that's good to know. So that's still somewhat in play. Yeah. Okay. No, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, generally, you know, when, when people sell real estate, they, you know, tax is probably the biggest issue that they, <laughs> that is on the decision in the, in the decision making tree, basically. And so, um, you know, the, the question always comes up, okay, how much tax am I going to pay? Um, is it worth doing an exchange, you know, and avoiding that tax? Or should I just you know, take the money and, and run and not be a, a, a landlord any longer. And so it's uh so you know that is always a huge decision making um uh point and you know I just think you're going to see less property sell and and, and and that goes along with the with the higher capital gains rate. You're just you know it's just gonna it's a disincentive to sell property and so people will be holding on to their properties longer because of the tax. Yeah, and, and the ten thirty one exchange for, you know, five hundred thousand dollar per person um, exemption is not a lot when you're talking about real estate and how that appreciates. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: it effectively, sure. pretty much kills that provision as far as I'm concerned.
0: Okay. So okay, another. Uh, these are all hot button issues. Uh, There's a lot here on the chopping block that that we got to get through. So the next one is the elimination of step-up basis or death as a realization event. So, you know, this is a big one. Um, So essentially this would be taxing any unrealized capital gains at death for any unrealized gains over $1 million or $2 million for joint filers. So, I have some questions, just in general, how this works. Are there exemptions? Can you kind of choose what's what's included or what is you know what the is included in the exclusion amount versus not? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So um, you know the yeah. So basically, there are exclusions. There's a there's a million dollars plus. Uh, you get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per person if if your um, if your assets include a residence. So you do get the it's five hundred thousand dollars per couple or or two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the sale. And and the tax is um, so basically any any gift made during lifetime or um, or any inheritance um, uh, or transfers upon death in excess of those amounts are going to be treated as if you sold the asset and tax has to be paid at that point and if it's if you have illiquid assets you can you're you're able to pay those over a 15-year fixed rate payment plan for liquid assets such as publicly traded stocks and 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 other assets then those are those are taxed upon you know upon death basically and so there there will be a lot more you know sales upon death uh, because you you need the cash to pay the tax and there'll be more life insurance. Um, that'll be a bigger part of estate planning because of the cash flow needs. Uh, and um, so, there there'll also be some uh, difference in I think in the way people will be disposing of their of their um, of their assets at death. Um, that the the any amount given to a, a spouse is is not taxed. So you know you may see more people you'll you'll probably see people using up their million dollar exclusion either during their lifetime or upon death and then there will be more more assets going to the surviving spouse to string out that um that tax that would be taxed upon the second spouse's death so there might be some 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 adjustments made um there um this this um, this law does not become effective until, um, 2022. So any gifts made, um, on or before December 31st will be under the old regime. So, so you will see probably just a massive amount of wealth transfer, um, uh, mm-hmm. before the end of the year. Um, so,
0: um, let me just back up to what you said about the gifting is cause I have so if you gift this year, um, it's uh you know, this old rules apply and then starting next year it would be the gifting would be a realization event as well is that correct
1: exactly so if you gift before the end of the year um the the um the person receiving the gift will carry over the basis um just you know uh, uh, but if you do it after december 31st then you'll have to pay tax on that gift
0: okay <laughs> Yes. Well, they're really taking away a lot of the common tools that we use in terms of estate planning and tax planning. Um, Yes. I know a very common strategy that we've used is to hold low cost basis securities until you pass away and then you get that step up. I mean, just thinking administratively, I can see it being a big headache. Um, One of the benefits of having the basis reset, obviously, is Number one, avoiding the tax, but it can be sometimes hard to track down the basis. You know, I, I see a lot of clients that have uh, certificates in their safe of stocks, or you know, even when they make moves from custodian to custodian, basis can get lost. You know, it's not uncommon for me to see that, so right, right. that can make things even more of a headache.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's so. There's going to be different basis rules for different assets. Um, if you make gifts of your, your million dollars during your lifetime, uh, the gifts have a care, the gifts, um, that are you, that you are offset by the million dollars have a carryover basis to, um, the person receiving the gift. But if you're over the million dollars, then it's you're paying tax and then it's the fair market value that goes, um, for the, for the, for the asset that moves over. And so, yes, it'll be a little, there'll be some more, um, more paperwork to, to try to track these gifts and it's going to be, you know, it, it could be a cluster, but, you know, one of the things that actually um, we run into a lot is when, you know, uh, somebody sells an asset, sell some stock that they received from their great, great, you know great grandfather or grandfather or grandmother and it's you know it, it was 40 years ago and nobody knows what the cost basis was <laughs> uh you know back when their grandparents bought it and so that that that's more of a headache than a lot of uh you know the current you know transfers create but
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so so you know that will be eliminated because there'll be a big gain it'll be taxed and the and the, the donee will be receiving the the fair market value at that time.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. so that brings me into some more estate planning questions. Um, So like we had referenced earlier, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 increased the federal estate tax exemption um, from about 5.4 to 11.4 per person million per person. Um, and that's all set to sunset or revert back to that $5.4 million per person in 2026. Does this tax proposal um, ad- address that at all or is it just kind of leaving things that it will just
1: leave it, it, for 2026? Pretty, it pretty much leaves things as is there, which was kind of a surprise to a lot of people, but um, so that's still in place until it reverts back in 2026. Uh, and so, you know we'll see see what happens with that. You know one of the one of the reasons for the step up in basis, first of all, let's just go back. Historically, the estate tax was really not um, enacted to raise a lot of revenue. It was really enacted to kind of break up the the big families, the Vanderbilts and the Carnegies. and 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 that was really the the reason for the estate tax. and it's never it's never been a big revenue generator, quite frankly. And so, and, and the theory behind the step up in basis was that if you're paying estate tax on, on an asset at its fair market value, then you should not also have to pay income tax. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, under, under, this, under this plan, basically, if you are a, a wealthy individual and you've, you've exceeded that $11.4 million, you'll be paying estate tax and and um income tax on the same asset. And so you know, when you when you work out the you know the tax rates, you, you could actually pay up to 61 percent of uh, an asset's value in tax upon death. And so you know the 11.4 million dollars is high enough that that excludes a lot of people from income tax. But in 19 or in 2026 if this reverts, then of course more people are going to fall into that trap. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big issue when that, uh, if that gets to, if that sunsetted.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, definitely taking away, uh, it's <laughs> changing the landscape here quite a bit. Um, so before we move on, um, to the next section, was there anything big that I missed in terms of individual personal tax provisions that, that you'd want to bring up any strategies that, uh, that we didn't discuss already?
1: Yeah, I don't think so at this point. You know, it, like I said, we we tend to um, you know I think we've hit the, the major points, which are, are the tax increases. They um, you know they're they are tweaking some of the, the deductions as well. Uh, you know, I prefer to. kind of wait until we see where we stand before we kind of get into the the weeds with um, a lot of these details, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, smart.
1: (laughs) Uh, You you can burn a lot of time following this, following these tax bills through Congress and they, you know, and they never end up the way they are proposed. So, you know.
0: So that leads me into um, a question that we got from the audience. Um, There was a question of how much do you think, and this is of course speculation uh, in terms of your professional opinion, uh, how much do you think we'll be able to get through Congress given uh, the opposition from certain uh, Democratic senators that are kind of more in the moderate camp?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that a lot of this will get through, Um, you know, I think the, I think the 1031 exchange, um, I think there's probably a lot of opposition to that because it affects the real estate industry and there's, um, and there's, you know, a, a fairly significant lobby there. Um, but I think the tax increases are probably going to be something that we're going to have to deal with. It's uh, it, it is it is difficult to say. And the, the effective dates are another thing that, um, you know, may change. Uh, you know, there might be a good chance that the, the especially for the capital gains, that gets moved back. But, but it is really difficult to say, quite frankly, um, where we will end up with. With all of this uh, and uh, there will just there'll be a lot of compromises for sure before um, before it's through, but you know, like I say, you know you, you just basically have to plan for the worst and and hope for the best when these things are moving through Congress
0: sure. Oh, and one thing I also wanted to bring up, we got a question. We, we talked on the, the Washington State capital gains tax. We didn't talk yet about the new long-term care provision that um, has been put into effect. So this is something I've been reaching out to tons of clients about. So essentially the rules as I understand them is that if for all W-2 income earners starting uh, next year in 2022, there will be a payroll tax of 0.58% on all income, so it's uncapped, that will be used to fund $36,500 in long-term care expenses. Um, You know, unless you can prove that you purchase a policy within the next, uh, I believe it has to be purchased by uh, November 1st.
1: November 1st, right.
0: Yes. So this is another big one. I mean, for my uh, my working clients, this is this is a big one. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. It's it's very significant. Um. Yeah. It and it, and it's really it's just it's forcing people to get private <laughs> private insurance. Quite frankly, I mean, the policy is is so bad. It only pays thirty six five in, in, in benefits um, if you leave the state. It's not portable, so you lose coverage even though if you've paid in for. You know if you pay in for 30 years and retire to you know uh arizona you're you're out of luck um you also have to vest you have to pay in for 10 years um to vest before you get coverage and so you know most companies are helping their employees try to find private insurance um, and it's kind of a one-time deal so after you know, after this change, everybody who is employed after November 1st is going to be stuck with this tax, basically.
0: Right. So if you, you know, if you are entering the workforce, if you move from out of state, you're out of luck, it sounds like. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So right. I I never thought I would be doing long-term care planning at my age, uh-huh. uh, but it has prompted me to uh, look into getting my own policy. I mean, looking at the long-term care industry over the, I mean, it's certainly in terms of private policies has gone down so much over the years, just because of the premiums are so expensive, the policies have gotten worse and worse. This has been, I mean, I'd be, very curious to see the numbers of how much how many policies are purchased in Washington State alone in the next six months. Um, but yes, if, if anyone that is listening has more questions about this, I'd be happy to to chat more in depth, of course, on any of these topics, but um, specifically um, we do know that we can take action on this tax. So as opposed to some of the other ones where you might be out of luck and might not even be able to do anything before the end of the year, this is one that we can control. So
1: Yes, you should all um, be proactive on this for sure.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to launch our second poll um, before we move on to kind of the uh, some of the business changes. So this question says, "Do you think you'll be personally affected by these uh, these changes to the personal income tax rates? Is do you think yes, very much? Yes, somewhat? No, or I'm still not sure?" And as people are answering this. I you know I want to say if there's there's questions about this um, we were happy to chat more on a on a case by case and individual basis that's one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed since uh, Evergreen acquired Evergreen Sterling Cooter last year that uh, it's nice to kind of have more of this in depth tax focus where we can model out different scenarios and kind of work together as a coordinated team. Okay. So I'll, I'll share those results real quick, and then I'm going to um, launch the, our last poll, which is talking, uh, we're going to go into talking more about business and corporate taxes and changes there. I know we're, we're running up on time here, but I want to ask Kelly a few questions here. So um, before we do that, this poll here is, are you an owner of a business? Yes, I'm self-employed. Uh, yes I'm in a partnership no I'm retired or no I'm a w2 employee or a non-owner okay well, so as
1: while as- they answer that um, Katie I didn't want to point out that this um, because this, this question brings to mind me uh, for this uh, long-term care insurance so it's only employees so if you're a sole proprietor if you're a partner in a partnership uh, and if it, you don't receive a w2 then you don't have to to, uh, you're not covered by this law, so.
0: That's, that is an important distinction. I did see that you can opt in if you want to, um, but I, I probably, uh, I don't see recommending that for many folks at this point. <laughs> okay, so shifting gears here, um, looking a little bit more at corporate taxes, how businesses and corporations and business owners will be impacted. Um, so the big, Thing that we're seeing on the corporate side is the increase of corporate taxes from 21% to 28%. Uh, what kind of impact do you think this will have on the U.S. on U.S. corporations and on the economy? I know that there was a few different provisions about you know, bringing more work back to back to the states.
1: Specifically. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if this will. all, um, Yeah. I mean, uh, and then, and they've also, you know, we've heard discussions about this. Um, Minimum tax, kind of a worldwide minimum to corporate minimum tax that is um, being proposed as well. Uh, and so I think, you know, the, the general idea is to kind of have a, uh, an even playing field for all the world's world corporations. Um, the, uh, you know, from from a, from a corporate tax in the U.S., um, you know, generally corporate taxes don't pay or corporations don't pay taxes <laughs> I mean uh, uh, the corporate taxes get passed through to their shareholders uh, employees and, and the consumers and so you know generally when you have a, a corporate tax increase um, it's going to you know affect pricing it's going to affect 401k um, returns and and other and you know investment returns and so you know, um, I think it's it's historically, it's been proven that, that this will probably have a, a negative effect on, on the economy, you know, at this point.
0: Yeah, no, I think that would, uh, that, that logic makes sense. Um, what in terms of, I saw that there are some changes for, uh, Pass-through entities, can you just give a brief description of, of what those changes are looking like right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, the uh, pass-through entities always, have always received this 20% um, QBI deduction, and um, you know, I believe under the plan that that is going to be—it's um, still in place, but it's going to be phased out. So, um, so that'll there'll be a, a, a lesser benefit, and the reason that the qualified business, the 20% deduction was put into place was to put pass-through entities on, on the same level as uh, C corporations or tax paying corporations. And so, um, you know, so, so with the increase in taxes, then there's kind of a, a an effect on pass-through entities as well.
0: I see. Okay. Is there anything else that we should be paying attention to in ter- in terms of uh a business, a corporate pass-through, uh, any of those that that group.
1: Well, the, the biggest, uh, you know, I, I just think both both pass-through entity-wise, uh, corporate and, and individuals, um, you know, part of of uh, the Biden um, budget is is to put more credits in place and more incentives for for green um, green investments. And so I think that, um, we'll have to keep an eye on those to see, you know, what, what those, uh, what, what, how those, how, how those get evolved, you know? Um, I think that, uh, you know, we're kind of headed back, um, just from, uh, again, from a historical perspective, back in the seventies and eighties, the the rates were higher in the seventies and there, um, were a, a lot of credits and incentives given to to make different investments into different types of of, of industries, and um, and so people were investing in tax shelters. Doctors would were buying boxcars uh, because there was a big credit for you know to support the railroads, and and so so it was very complex. It was very convoluted tax code because there were all these, um, there was a high tax raise, but then they carved out all these incentives. And then Reagan came in and, and, and in essence, almost did a flat tax and took away um, all the, a lot of the, the passive activity credits and and, um, and, and so it really changed the landscape and people weren't investing in boxcars or apple orchards in Eastern Washington, they were making investments in, for an economic reason rather than tax reason. And so, you know, my my fear is that now we're getting into another environment of higher tax rates, and then there's going to be some heavy incentives and tax breaks to invest in these um, different environmental uh, or green, you know, um, investments. And so you're going to get back into this really complex and convoluted tax system where, um, you know, you're going to be looking at these types of investments to offset the, the higher tax rates. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all this plans out and how that evolves in the future.
0: Yes, well, we will be uh, eagerly watching to see uh, how this develops. And I'm sure you and I may get on another webinar or podcast here in the future as we learn more. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. There'll, be, there'll be more coming for sure
0: yes um so i we're just about hitting up on an hour so i know we didn't quite get to all questions but if anyone wants any more uh follow-up you can you can reach out to um uh, info at evergreengovcal.com and we'd be happy to to answer more specific questions or reach out to your wealth consultant um and kelly i want to thank you for joining us today for this for this tax talk Um, and uh, yes, I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon as things develop.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, wonderful. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day and thanks to everyone for joining us.
1: All right, thanks Katie.
0: Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.